Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm Albert, and this is episode 193. If I had half a mind, I'd come right over there. What? If I had half a mind, I'd come right over there. I heard you, but that makes no sense. You've never heard the phrase, if I had half a mind to do something, I would do it? No. Yeah, I mean, sure, I've heard it, but what does it have to do with today's subject? Well, today we're talking about playing co-op with multiple players. Thus, you have to have half a mind for both of the two characters that you're playing as. Oh, okay. Works for me. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Sometimes it takes a little bit of explanation. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Julius. I'm here with Albert. And yes, we are, in fact, going to be talking about some of our trials and tribulations, trying to play co-op or even competitive games solo. That's right. Yep. Um, sometimes you want to play a game like, I don't know, Pandemic, and it's it just works better with multiple characters. And what do you do? Do you do it? Do you pick a different game and do you just do one character and go really hard? Do you, should you, should you make up your own rules, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So where would you like to start, Julius? Should we start with co-op games or competitive games? Well, let's or? let's start with the general idea, just to make it clear. Okay. I, I know that there are definitely some people out there who ascribe to the idea that any co-op game can be soloable. You just have to play as multiple characters. I'm And in the Arkham Horror Land, this is the question of whether you play two-handed solo or what's called true solo over there. If you're playing an actually as one character um, all by yourself, or if you're playing as two characters and trying to work it out for many games, I think that it is perfectly okay to play as, you know, as not true solo playing as two characters. So a good example would be Pandemic. Although I will note that there are some versions of Pandemic and other games where they explicitly give you the ability on how you can play true solo. So, for example, Wizard Academy is one where it is possible to play true solo on some scenarios, and they'll give you the ability to figure out how to do that. But many co-ops just don't simply take that idea and allow you to play multi-handed altogether and it could certainly sometimes stress your mind to try to play the games multi-handed when you're trying to do that all of this sets Mm -hmm. aside the idea of playing competitive and i think that we'll come back and address how much harder it is to play competitive after we've talked about sort of some of the issues and ideas we've had about being able to play um multi-handed yep and, and so the reason you'd want to play multi-handed solo like in a game like pandemic or something like that where you could just play three characters um what the reason you want to do that a lot of times is because it tends to make the the game more interesting and dynamic you, you get a lot more ch- options and choices all of a sudden um it becomes interesting where character a playing with two versus three or two versus one versus one playing with two or three or any number greater than one, your different characters cannot interact and do stuff. And that Mm -hmm. tends to make the game more interesting. I mean, in part because the games are often designed for for being played with multiple people. They often are. Their sweet spot is three people or four. Right. I don't think it's also just about being 
more interesting. I think that also it severely reduces the idea that bad luck can mess you up because many of these games, if you're not playing against an actual competitive another player in order to ensure that there's something you're working against. There's an element of luck that's fighting against you, whether it be the enemy deck of the game or a set of dice that you're having to fight against or something along those lines. But if you're playing as just one player, all your luck comes against that one player and you sort of have to ensure that that one player can do everything. But if you're broadening out more, then you can either have one player focus on one thing and one player focus on the other thing, or just simply if one player gets locked down or pinned by the game for some reason, then you still have the ability to work with the other character. You have essentially an emergency button that you can still push. Another example of somewhere that that I think this is important is with Renegade, which I believe is a game that you are a fan of. Correct, Albert? It's a game I have, yes. (laughs) But have I played it? No. Not recently. (laughs) Not yet. Not ever. I need to play it. I've got it. I've heard it's good. That's what you tell me. That's what other people have told me. But I've yet to play it. That's a shame. Um, even when I know that he's doing a, a second version of it with a different name at one point. But that's a, that's another one where it could be it it could make your life very difficult if you're doing it true solo. And while the game does allow you to play it as true solo, all of the rules say just base everything exactly off of whatever your player count is with that game. It's definitely possible for one player to just have luck and randomness go really hard against you. Whereas if you're focusing each player on each character on something different, it's going to be a lot easier to be able to win and to, to not get locked down by something going entirely against one without the ability to have the other one pivot and come rescue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good example of that would be like in Pandemic, where if you have three or four characters and suddenly there's a, an outbreak in the U.S., chances of being having somebody in the U.S. to deal with it is much better than, than having somebody else that maybe has to travel halfway across the world just to get to that and waste a bunch of actions. So I think that generally discusses why you would want to have two players instead of one when you're playing the game. But let me extend that a little bit further. Albert, Pandemic can be played to max of four players. Why don't you play a max of four players if you're trying to really maximize your chances? Then you can cover everywhere in the whole world. You have even less running around you have to do. You have more diversity. You even further reduce the chance of luck messing you up in the game. Why wouldn't you want to just play as four? Yeah, I'd never. It's just too many. It's you know I don't need that many. I, I, that's a good point because I have no idea if it makes it better or worse. I just like playing with say three. I usually pick three. Three. <laughs> and I have no idea why I play anymore. Yeah, three is what I usually go with. Maybe I'll do two, but usually I'll do three characters when I'm playing solo with a game like Pandemic. And and this depends on a game by game basis. Um, sometimes I will pick two in Pandemic. Pandemic Iberia, I'll do two. Um. Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu, I'll do three. And again, four is just, it's a lot more characters, which says a lot more cards to manage. And, you know, every time you switch from one character to another, then you got to remember what you what card you had, what you're doing. And it's that switching from character to character makes it harder. Exactly. I think that's what I was referring to when I was talking about having half a mind at the opening segment. Mm-hmm. So you only do two characters, you're saying? 
Well, I don't mean that literally. It does depend on the game. But yes, more often I'm only doing two characters. We keep referring to Pandemic. I feel it's definitely one of the more widely played games that we're going to have here. But yes, I only do two characters when I'm playing Pandemic or even for Pandemic the Cure and other things. Like, for example, Pandemic the Cure is one that I have tried to do solo with higher player counts to sort of see what it would feel like. And it is it's more difficult but also i feel there's another thing it takes you out of the game more when you control even when you're controlling two characters when you control just one you feel immersed that becomes your character you can sort of affect it you feel it you you are becoming that character and that's why for when i play co-op games with other people like often i'll refer to the person by their character name, not just you know, by whoever they are. You sort of become the character. When you're playing Overwatch style, when you're controlling multiple characters, it's a little bit easier to be more distant from the action, to not really feel it as much. And the more characters you are, the more distant I sort of feel from the whole thing. And it kind of, to a degree, reduces the amount of fun. Yeah, I could see that, though. So, you know, that that also for me depends on a game by game basis. Uh, another example of a, of a game like this is a Flashpoint Fire Rescue, right? Very similar to Pandemic in many ways. In that game, I'll play multiple characters. In, in my mind, I am not a firefighter. I'm more of a fire chief directing everybody. And and then I tend not to lose that immersion. So how many characters do you play with that in Flashpoint? Usually three again, or sometimes two. See, I still only play as two. Hmm, Okay. Yeah, there. I'm a fire chief, so it doesn't matter. As many as I have is fine. The hmm. only reason I don't go higher is just because of the management issue that I mentioned already. It's, it's easy to... No, I certainly am agreeing that the management becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're aware, I am a fan of real-time games. The issues <laughs> of management become an even higher issue in a real-time game. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I For example, there's the Pandemic Rapid Rescue mm-hmm. where that is a game where the action just does not stop and it does not play solo at all. You do not have enough dice to be able to play as a single character. You will need to play as multiple characters. And the rules don't really address like how to do pauses and how to switch dice and what to do between them, unless you literally just pick up a run around the table or, or do it separately. And I think we've discussed this when I was discussing Pandemic Rapid Rescue. But I'd say, if anything, these are the sorts of games that sort of are an exception to the general rule of any co-op game can be played solo multiple characters. There are a few which cannot. Um, and these kind of games just really highlight like you have to have a certain mindset to be able to play those kind of games and keep everything up in the air possible that you already have to even if you enjoy real-time games there are solo real-time games that are similar are there okay yeah Okay. Well, yeah, there are. There's Proving Grounds as one. Flatline can explicitly be played solo. Um, Fuse can be played solo. So there are certainly ones out there that are real-time games that can be played solo. I don't know too many people who would enjoy the solo ones who, excuse me, who would enjoy this, who would not enjoy the solo ones, but do enjoy the multiplayer ones solo. Normally, I think you have to enjoy the whole group. Yeah, so so if you want to play um, 
a time game like that, then your best bet is probably to pick something that supports soul directly, not try and play multi-handed. That that would be too much to manage. Mm-hmm. I imagine <laughs> it would fry my brain. That's for sure. I, I, one I row is usually enough in a time game. Um, do you prefer then play multi-handed? It, like if you see a co-op game, you say, "Ooh, I'll play multi-handed. This is great." Or do you say, "Oh man, co-op. I'd rather play a single character." I usually prefer to play multi-handed. I usually prefer to play two players. And if it's a game that can't actually be played two players, I'm not going to get it for solo play. Like, for example, here's one that can only be played multiple players. Okie dokie. Just as an example. This is one that is highly centered around um, hidden information. Where not everyone has to know or where everyone cannot know what's going on with the other players. Otherwise there's no issue being able to coordinate. It's the issues of being able to coordinate and guess what the other player has and hope that they're equally coordinating with you. That ties into the game to my understanding, quirky circuits, by plaid hat, although I've never had a chance to play that one is a similar type of difficulty where you can give limited information by the backs of the cards, but you can't give any other actual information about the game. So those are ones those are another category of information, uh, or excuse me, of game that break the rule of any solo game can be played two-handed. Those ones simply can't. I'll note that Pandemic also has limited information that you're not supposed to normally share what's in your hand with the other players. We frequently entirely ignore that rule when we're playing oh, yeah. with actual other players. There's many games that have that similar restriction that are there to you know prevent alpha players or other some such nonsense. And like, yeah. you know, yeah, that's not an exception to the rule. You can certainly play that one multiplayers. Just don't alpha player mm-hmm. yourself, I suppose. <laughs> I, Unless I you're getting really the character. <laughs> I, I think I prefer <laughs> a, a true solitaire game given the choice, but I don't have a problem playing multiplayer game and trying multiple characters. Um, doesn't bother me. And I think the a lot of the reason is because. I've come up with different systems to play it and manage it pretty well to, to make it a little bit easier to keep track of everything. And I think that Such is key. the primarily is just setting up each character. I'll have like in pandemic, I'll set the first character on the left, then the next one in the middle and then another one on the right. And all the cards are arranged that way. And I'll get up one of my, my handy one player guild challenge coin and I'll put it on the first character when it's his turn or her turn. And I will take the turn. When I finish, I'll move it over to the next character and do that. And doing that helps a lot because for me especially, I have a lot of interruptions when I'm playing games. Dog wants to go out or kid needs something or what you know, whatever is going on. And if I step away, I come back, I have no idea whose turn it was. And by just having a marker on the current character every time it makes it really easy to keep track of that. It Also, when I'm playing multiple characters without a marker, it just becomes easy to forget who which character is which. Like... Sometimes I say, oh, was I doing the first guy or the third guy? I, I'm not sure anymore because I lost track for a second trying to plan move. And maybe I put the deck down on the wrong character. So it just gets confusing. Having that marker mm-hmm. made a world of difference for me. Huge, huge world of difference. Agreed. Yeah. Speaking of markers, another trick that I commonly use when playing multi-handed is I have a memory issue. <laughs> when I'm playing multi-handed, for example, one one. I, when I'm sitting for one character's seat, I'll be like, oh, this character really wants to do this or really wants to make sure other people remember this. Um, so 
you know, on the next person's turn, I need to make sure to remember, oh, like commit this card or play this event or something like that. And then I'll go to the next person's turn. I'll pick up their hand. I'll look at them. I'll play through the whole hand and be like, oh, that was a pretty decent turn. I'll go to the next person. I'm like, oh, shoot. I was supposed <laughs> to do this from this person to this person on that turn. And it's really hard for me to remember that. So that's why for many of these games. And now you got to start over. <laughs> right. I, I sometimes do. So for many of these games, I will have a set of usually larger plastic see-through cubes that I'll put on the cards or put on different areas to sort of be like reminder tokens like hey you're gonna forget this in 30 seconds (laughs) this is here to remind you and so i'll just set it a little cube tray of those cubes and when i want to remember something for even 30 seconds i'll put it there because i know when i'm going to put down these cards i'm going to stop thinking about them nice so you may have like a yellow cube and you say the yellow cube is there to remind me that the yellow character cares about this place on the board and you don't necessarily have to remember what it is, but at least knowing that you care about that area gets you focused in on it again. It's not usually even so color tied. It's usually just, I have a stack of cubes and a cube means, Oh, I'm supposed to remember something. Okay. That's a good idea. Yeah. Cause that's usually all it takes. I often forget. So what ends up happening for me, if I'm playing a game, a cooperative game solo, and especially two for crops again, it's the, it ends up becoming more tactical and very little long-term strategy because I just don't remember it. So every turn I'm looking at all my cards again, trying to figure out which cards I want to use and, and what I have, you know, it's over and over. It's a brand new hand every time, <laughs> which really slows down the mm-hmm. gameplay. Yeah, it still does. And what I, what I will also do sometimes is the cards that I'm most interested in just come to the front of the deck. And that that's true, whether it's a solitaire game, multiplayer game, doesn't matter. Just whatever I'm most interested in is always towards the front, and the cards I don't care about go to the back of my hand. Because mm-hmm. I'm more likely to see the ones at the front. <laughs> and I'll see them go, ooh, shiny, and forget about the rest of it. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. One other thing that I find actually really helps, and this may be weird to you if you don't do it, but it really is talking out your games, talking to yourself while you're playing, planning your strategy out verbally. Honestly, I find this true even for solo games that don't have multiple characters, but really, really, really more so when I have multiple characters. If I'm having all my discussion about what to do in the player's hands just in thought, I will not process it all the way and I will not remember it as easily and act upon it as easily than if I talked it out with myself, essentially having a conversation with myself. So I'll say, hey, blue player, let's do this, 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 and and say what they would say from one player to the other and Mm, sort of explain where one person's situation is. That helps me to a degree. That helps me sort of feel more in the moment. But really, it's to make sure that my plan and strategy is coming sound from that player's perspective. That makes sense. Yeah, and just saying it loud will help you remember it even, yeah. That, that's never mm-hmm. occurred to me. I, I generally won't talk if I'm playing a solo game unless somebody comes into the room. If somebody in the room doing something, then I tend to start talking about what I'm doing. And I guess I'm subconsciously narrating for that person, even though they're probably not listening. Wait, for the person who's not listening to you, you're talking for them? Yes, they're not listening. You know, somebody's watching TV or doing schoolwork or whatever, and they're in the same room as I'm playing a game. I will probably describe the action. But if they walk off and leave the room, I'll go quiet. <laughs> 
I don't know that's why. funny. It, you know, I'm not the first person that does this. I've read the same thing uh, on Board Game Geek once in a while, where, where other people say the same thing. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll talk when somebody's around to hear it. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. I guess it's just the desire to have a conversation with a person, even if it's about something that I'm doing solo. <laughs> I suppose our social natures tie in that we simply can't yeah. have a room with two people be silent. I will have to talk to a psychologist about that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one game in particular. Um, oh gosh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. That one, you know, that one is hard to play with two characters. It's a really hard game, and you really need three or four to succeed in that game. It's just not balanced to play with two characters. And people have always complained that it's too hard to solitaire because it's just too many characters. And there really is a lot going on in that game, a lot of upkeep and tokens and things to keep track of. And I'm adding Sentinels to my bad list. <laughs> I, somebody posted on BGG once. I don't know who it was, somewhere in the solitaire geek lists or a thread somewhere that what they did was they set it up. And, and what's important here is that the setup of a game when you're playing by yourself really can make a big difference. They, they put the, the first card in the turns that you use are always the villain. So they put the villain deck on top, then the first player character below that, then the second player character below that, and the third player character below that. And finally the environment. So as you play, you're going from the top deck, working your way down. And then going back to the top and side thing. And when you manage it that way... How do you keep the deck separate? Each, All the cards in each deck basically take a row. So I'll have, you know, like four, five rows. Three for the characters, the one on the top for the enemy, and the one on the bottom for the... Oh, you don't mean physically on top of each other. Not physically. You just mean left to right. No, I mean... The, the closest deck to me is the environment. Placed above that deck. I follow. Yep, the row above it is the next deck. And so I do that, and and then all the cards, I play them out to the right from there. And everything is well-organized, and it becomes much easier to manage, and the game, for me, is fun. And and that just seems to work well, right, for a game that would otherwise be hard. Because I think when you're playing solo, the general thought is put the enemy on the top and all your cards right in front of you going across. And that just wouldn't work in this game. So the point being is, how you set up the game can make a huge difference in managing that game. And it it's worth putting a little thought into it as you're first learning the game and playing and figuring out how to lay it out better just to keep track of all things going on. I think that makes a big difference. Understandable. And I think that's a good tip for many different things is mm-hmm. to make sure that you progress through all of the phases of the game. Sort of set yourself up with a way to proceed through a flow and ensure everything's going through where it should be. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Are there any games you uh, you don't like playing multi-handed? That I don't like playing multi-handed? Mm-hmm. That it's available for? Yes. Not really, in all honesty. <laughs> okay. There, there's two I can think of. The tell the me first one for me that came. The first one that came to mind is um, Elder Sign, right? The Arkham Horror dice rolling game. Arkham Horror Yahtzee, I guess I'd call it. <laughs> and that one yeah. seems to be harder the more characters you have. So if you're playing with one character, the game tends to be easier. And I think that's because the characters, though they can help each other out, they, they don't really help that much. Um, and by just playing the one character, you always get all the good cards. You know, it's not as distributed. So I found that game to be much easier with just a single character. 
which is surprising. It's balanced for one. That's that's not usual. And the more people you add, the it gets so much harder. One of the first times I played it, we played it with uh, I think six or seven players. <laughs> it, first of all, it took forever. <laughs> that might have been a mistake, but it was so hard because by the time you, it came back to you, the uh, the clock had gone around a couple times. And you couldn't do anything about that timer. And every time that the clock goes around in the game, something really bad happens. <laughs> and, you know, whatever it was, it says, oh, if you're in a location of this type, you will take some damage. So, well, I am, and I'm not going to be able to move before the clock goes back. So it's going to happen. <laughs> that's just hard. The, that's not a game I played too much. I think I only have the digital app. Oh, I have the digital and the physical game. I enjoy that one. I play it once in a while. Um, not too often, just okay. because of time, but I do like that one a lot. The the other game... So was your second one? The Lord of the Rings, the card game. It's a, it's a living card game. Um, and people say it's really fun multi-handed. You should try it multi-handed. I have played mul- with multiple players, and it really is interesting getting all the card dynamics and all that, because each player has a different style of deck, and that's just fun. But that's a game uh-huh. where I just don't want to deal with the both the extra management and upkeep but the huge amount of space it takes just <laughs> just the, all the player cards fill up a whole uh game mat area you know and then there's all the enemy cards on top and then i would need a second game mat. i would literally be playing musical chairs going from chair to chair for each character that'd be the only way to manage it i think i only owned i think it was the core in the first set of that one but i did enjoy playing it yeah multiplayer over single player um but with Arkham Horror that I own all the stuff for, I definitely enjoy playing it multiplayer than single player. Mm. So, is it for the same reason? Just because it, the the dynamics you get from the the extra decks and all that? Yeah, the the interplay, the ability to not get pinned down by the game, um, higher level of thematics and, mm. and interaction, and be able to use more cards. Yeah, <laughs> make better decks. Is the game easier or harder with uh, more players, more characters? I think it's. I think it's hard. It's easier with more characters. Okay. Interesting. But you've played that one so much. I don't think it's really any harder for you to to play multi-handed. You you could probably play no four or five characters just as easy as you would do one. Honestly. Possibly. I think I just wouldn't want to deal with all the cards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just takes longer. The game takes longer with four. Exactly. Yeah. The more people you add, the a lot of the games just get slower. Oh, there's my dog. So, noting that we have the ability to play multi-handed, we discussed at the opening about also the ability to play multi-handed when you're playing competitive. So, I know that there are certainly some people who believe that any game, competitive also, can be soloable. You just have to play it multi-handed. You play against yourself. Even if it doesn't have an um, automa deck or something else like that, you could just play against yourself. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about that assertion? Do you believe that assertion is true? I do, but I think it is entirely a different skill set for, for something like that. It, it is, I think it's harder, uh, mainly because this is a game where a lot of times there's secret information. You have a hand of cards that you're not supposed to share or, or your strategy. You don't want to share it with the other character, with the other player. And a lot of times you just have to pretend you don't know what the plan is and, and trick yourself into saying, what would I do? If I didn't know what I'm, what other me is about to do, you know, would I still go into this location? I think that's much easier when I can't remember it from one <laughs> hand to the next. I'm playing co-op. Surely, <laughs> when I'm playing help. competitive, I can't remember. Yeah, but it, you know, if you got a game and you're like, 
you're playing the, I don't know, the blue side and the blue side's about to go attack and wipe out half the board of the red side. And you go and you set it up and now you switch over to the red side and you, okay, I know I'm about to get wiped out. So the right thing for me to do is to go put everybody over there. But I wouldn't know this if I was playing a different person. And in this situation, what I would want to do is go this other way and do something a little different, even though I know it's going to kill me. And, and so you end up having to make choices like that that can be really tricky and will probably never be truly fair and balanced because you're going to make, I find at least for myself, that I'll make choices saying, well, I think, I'm, I think you know, the blue side would do this, so I'm going to do this thing instead or whatever. And in real life, maybe I wouldn't have been quite that extreme. Maybe it would have been more balanced or whatnot. But you kind of just got to go with it and pretend you don't know what's going on and play both sides to the best of your skill. And you still end up often getting a satisfying narrative and a story out of it. And that's what matters. And in those kinds of games, you're not playing to win or lose. You're getting you're playing for the experience. I think that is by far more common with I, board what do you games. Mean for the experience, like getting an experience or how to for play the, the rules. Well, that is one way people often do it. But I'm thinking just for the I'm thinking of people that play it just for the sake of the fun of playing the game, and they'll play both hands because they just want okay. to go through the motion of playing the game because they enjoy the game so much. Um, and I think it's most common in war games. Historically, I think because gaming just wasn't as popular as it is now, and so finding an opponent would have been just much harder, period, than it is these days. So if you wanted to play a war game, which was what was common, say, like 70s and early 80s and whatnot, then um, you just a lot of times you just have to play both sides. I won't say a lot, but some games are just not designed necessarily to be balanced anyway. They, they may favor one side or the other, certain strategies or another. And I think games like that tend to be more of a historical experience. Where you, the, the game that comes to mind for me is Men of Iron, which I covered in the podcast many years ago. And the they said, oh, it's a great game for Solitaire because uh, the side that's defending tends to always win. I think it was, maybe it was the side that's attacking, but I'm pretty sure it was the side that was defending. And it, it always favors them. So if you're attacking, you're unlikely to win the game. So it's easy to play at Solitaire that way <laughs> well that sounds actually like a terrible two-player game and <laughs> it, it might be but what you get out of it either way is you start realizing why it was so bad an idea to be attacking and so much better to be defending and you actually get uh, you learn something about the history of, of why warfare was the way it was and so these games tend to be really interesting as a learning experience and i find that i found that really fun so you mentioned that you had an issue of being able to essentially realize both sides of the strategy and force yourself to forget. I think another issue that I will commonly have when I'm playing co-op or competitive multi-handed um, is actually that I forget my strategies. Yeah. Very similar to what I was talking about with competitive. I, I will have an idea for one player and then I will put that hand down with the other one. I'm like, oh, this guy has a really good idea. He could do this and this plan. And I pick up with the other one like, what was I planning over here? I, I've, I've forgotten again. So you're saying forget trying, to, me. forget trying to pretend you don't know what the other me is doing. I don't know what this me is doing. <laughs> yes. That, that has happened yeah. to me on more than one occasion. And I don't know if it's because I'm sitting down, I've got lots of other stuff going on and kids interrupting or whatnot. But so many times between the time when I put down a hand and pick up a hand, I'm like, what? 
and I will usually only play these kind of games when I'm trying to learn the rules or familiarize myself with it or something like that because it's so frustrating for me when I <laughs> either can't remember or have to intentionally dumb play a hand. Like I will be very excited. Like I just set myself up to do something really cool. I want to do it right now. Ah, shoot. I have to play this other guy's turn real quick. Okay. Let's just dumb him through this turn. Make him do something really silly so that I can do the really cool thing I set up because that was a lot more fun. That's funny. So that's that's a learning experience where you're trying to learn the rules. And I think that tends to be a little different in that with a game like that, I'm going to give myself a lot more leeway and not worry too much about winning or losing. And I may even try stuff just to see wh- how that specific type of rule works. All right. There may be a rule set you don't mm-hmm. that don't actually come up often in real places. So just trying to play the game you don't get is you say, well, let me, let me just do this and see what would happen because that's interesting and I want to understand it. Um, what I find when I'm playing multiplayer games, it helps if I set it up, like I said, with Lord of the Rings at a different seat on the table for each player and then just physically get up and move around. It really does make it easier to, to shift your mind entirely from character to character. And that will help, I think, with, um, with remembering each person's, uh, strategy. I mean, it won't solve the problem, but I think it does, it does actually make a difference. The other thing you can always do is also write it down if it's a complicated game. You know, it's a quick note on what your strategy is. And especially if you have it on two sides of the table, you can't look at each other's notes. Indeed. That may help. <laughs> so also get some more exercise running around the table. Well, yes. <laughs> and it looks really funny. Don't do this at a coffee shop. You know, don't go out and play. <laughs> I mean, do it if you want. But you'll get more looks. So I will also say that. I even though I, I say I enjoy playing the the two sides of a game for the fun of the game, I rarely, rarely do it. It's probably been a few years, honestly. Um, like I, I remember doing Men of Iron for the review, and I remember playing Combat Commander to learn it, and just having a fun time playing both sides. Um, and I might have done a few others, yeah, a few other games. It's generally war games, but the thing is, there's so many games that support co-op or solo now that. The need for that is very, no very slim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So most of the time... I think I designers think more and more want to avoid even doing it, too. They know. Yeah, but people don't mind playing that way. And like I said, it still can be fun. It just requires a different skills to, to, to learn how to do it more successfully and, and more satisfyingly. It, it is definitely a viable mm-hmm. option. You know, I made a playing both sides macro badge years ago. It's, it's like... I'm my own worst enemy. I play multiplayer games solo, and it's really popular. It's got a few hundred people have bought that macro badge, so apparently a lot of people do it still and enjoy it. I hear you. Mm-hmm. All right, Abba, I think we've covered both sides of this conversation. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Julius. Yes, I think... So I think with that, we'll sign done. off. All right. Goodbye, y'all. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. 
The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at donpancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.